Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The next chapter with Prim's Ripapad is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. It's Prim. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Slick Studios. This week, it is the second of a two-part interview series with former world number one and U.S. Open champion, also my childhood friend, Andy Roddick. Last week, we talked about our intersecting childhoods, including the similarities and also differences in our experiences at the Tennis Academy we attended in Tampa, Florida, Saddlebrook, and also what allowed him, unlike the rest of us, to achieve the level of success that he did, including his meteoric rise from a top 40 in the world junior player to then top 10 in the world on the ATP tour and a Grand Slam champion. And to do all that in just two and a half years is unbelievable. So in this portion of the interview of our conversation, we talk about his decision to retire and how quick it was. Literally, he woke up one day while at the 2012 US Open and decided, that's it, I'm done. Called a press conference, walked away. And I just so happened to be there in 2012 at that press conference because I was a journalist and reporter and anchor at ESPN. And we also talk about why he decided to essentially throw out most of his trophies one day while him and his wife, Brooklyn, were moving, which makes me wonder why I'm still holding on to all of mine. It makes me very self-conscious. I think what stands out for me in this portion of our conversation is how every athlete will respond differently to retirement. There will always be an emotional response, but what moves an athlete about this transition from sport will be different. For some, it is the identity loss, the loss of the athletic identity. For some, it is that relationship with sport. For others, it's losing that skill or the structure or the culture. And for Andy, it was the relationships. That was the thing that moved him and that made it so difficult to walk away. And this is actually a very similar experience of what veterans endure when they are transitioning and experiencing retirement, because that's one factor that actually contributes to difficulty during the retirement process for not only veterans, but also elite athletes, is that loss in social support and social capital. 
because athletes and veterans are really unique because they have this built-in structure of support with their team and coaches and unit. And this is something that I've really been learning about in some of the research that I've been doing in my doctoral program as a PhD student in the counseling psychology program. So when athletes and veterans leave that space, they have to rebuild their network. And there is that loss, that sense of loss, especially with their social support. And you'll hear that from Andy in this portion. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this next conversation with Andy Roddick. be a rocket scientist to know that balance why everybody talks about mm-hmm. how important balance is uh, just to maintain a, a healthy perspective mm-hmm. or a healthy life so i mean these days kids are specializing in sport sooner and sooner and starting mm-hmm. earlier making a decision at instead of 12 or 14 at seven six mm-hmm. i'm going to be this i'm going to be a professional mm-hmm. football player i'm going to be an nfl player seven-year-olds don't decide that parents decide that for seven-year-olds I know. Don't Every seven-year-old wants to be a major league pitcher. Like you, it, it, it takes decision making from. Agreed. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I was just having this conversation. I brought it up in a previous with with Gerald. I'm going to bring it up again, but it was a a discussion turned into a debate with my husband and my brother and my sister-in-law about my nieces. Mm-hmm. We we're having a, and both of them swim, and we were talking about like what do we do when kids want to swim or play tennis at seven because their friends are in there and mm-hmm. they just want to do that one sport. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, I was against it because I've been through it. I lived the life that you didn't. Mm-hmm. I lived the hyper-focused life. Mm-hmm. And when and it, um, it, mani- it manifested itself in negative ways mm-hmm. and it took me a long time. So when I lived a life where it was all tennis all day, every day, it was part of mm-hmm. my identity. When it wasn't there anymore, I struggled. Sure. Even after college. Oh yeah. Surprising, because college yeah. you would think like it would kind of no, so be like the epitome of yeah. of of social normalcy with the option of being very serious about a sport. Yeah. So I mean, like this is funny, like how we're catching up now, but on the surface. Right. It's funny on the surface of what I know of you, mm-hmm. we get one story mm-hmm. and on the surface of what people know me, it looks like, mm-hmm. Oh, friend went to do, mm-hmm. yeah, she has some surgeries, but she went to school and mm-hmm. won a national championship and mm-hmm. she went on has a su- successful career and, mm-hmm. and broadcasting and all that stuff. Yeah, that's, that's good. But I, I did struggle when I was at Duke. It was a really, really tough experience. I loved it. I wouldn't change anything. Mm-hmm. I love my Duke family. But it's a it's a huge responsibility to be a D one student athlete, especially coming from Saddlebrook, mm-hmm. the Saddlebrook classroom, and then going to Duke. I was really intimidated. I thought I, I was so afraid I was going to look. I re, I remember being in a writing class and I had a B minus, and uh, all my papers were A's. So I went to the professor. I was, I was like, Hey, um, I have a B minus, but my grades are really good. Mm-hmm. She says you're not participating, and I told her I was like. I'm too afraid to say anything out loud. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say anything stupid because mm-hmm. I thought I was surrounded by geniuses. Mm-hmm. 
but, and then I had three surgeries and, and all that. So I had three surgeries my junior year and injuries are tough because we use our body as a vehicle. That is our vehicle to success. So Defines us for in a large yeah. part. Yeah. So when it broke down, I was disappointed. And on the surface, once I graduated from college, I had already lined up what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to get into sports broadcasting. Mm -hmm. I had my eyes set on ESPN. Mm -hmm. But I was still wrestling with the fact of how my career had ended mm -hmm. and who I was once tennis was no longer a part of my life. And I didn't know, you know, you and I connect, I think, on the we're not gray people. We're black and white. Mm -hmm. Tennis is easy because it's like, even if I lost, like, I know my value. I mm -hmm. know where I stand. It's fair. You, you know what I'm saying? It's very it's fair. Like in, in business, you don't know where you stand. You're not getting feedback. Mm -hmm. Tennis is a very technical sport. So it's like, you know what I what you need to work on every single mm -hmm. day. Your serve, jump up, mm -hmm. height, you know, forehand. It was way too confusing for me. And I think I lost, I lost a lot of that. But that did, I was able to function. And I was able to function well, but I didn't know how to digest my emotions. Mm -hmm. We were also at different points though. Like I had, by the time I had, you know, at, at 22, when you graduate college, maybe that's too soon to have to give it. I, I had a, I had been playing, a, I had played a full career by yes. the time I retired. So I think that's very different. I didn't, if there was something left, it wasn't the best of it for me. Right. Right. You know, so I, I think we're, uh, it's a little different. Like my, tra my transition from tennis to family business, philanthropy, it was, people are disappointed because I, I, when you texted me about this project, like it's the most boring thing ever because it's just like, it was, it was fine. Like it was, it was good. From sport was yeah. I loved really it. Fun. Like it was great. Like it's, it's, ever, it's still fine. So did you ever struggle with the idea of retiring? Was there ever a point mm. where there I was... I did it the same day. I did it four hours after it came into my head. You know, five hours, and then that was it, and it was done. And it. it's like, what's what are we going to do? What's next? Where am I? Where are we going to apply time? I took a year, and I was pretty lazy, and then it was kind of back back into, you know, I, and I had other interests. I had started, you know, a real estate company, and I was five years into that. So it was there were other things going on. I, I think athletes make the mistake of retiring and then going, what now? As opposed to kind of building those blocks during their careers. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was never a question of like what I was going to do afterwards. And so I didn't struggle with that. I didn't keep playing because there was nothing else there. Hmm. I think that's the one thing that I've learned in doing, he's sending an article and some bits and pieces of mm -hmm. information. I think that's the one thing that I've really learned about your journey. I did not know that you were planning so far in advance, mm -hmm. which is interesting because you, when you and I talk, you, you always kind of make these self-deprecating jokes about being a high school dropout and all that stuff. No, I graduated. I know, but you did say that. <laughs> not a, I, know not, you I didn't go to Duke, but... <laughs> but you were... Wasn't at my graduation because of tennis, but I did... <laughs> I think I graduated. I don't know. I don't know if I have the actual... I don't know, technically, I did. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that you were at... You started your foundation mm -hmm. at 18? Yeah. That's really young. Mm -hmm. So what was going through your mind about just planting the seeds for the future? How is that even possible? Because it's, uh, for me, like it's, I, I think there's complicated issues can be treated very simply. It, for me, it was like, if I want to do business, it's okay. You know, 
with, with our commercial real estate company was recession hit. We have liquid assets. How can I apply them? There has to be an opportunity here right now because everyone wants kind of what we have, right? They want to get liquid and they want to have some flexibility as the economy is squeezing. It's like, how do we take advantage of it? And so it was a very simple question. We found a pretty simple answer. And then you wait 11 years and you look smart because you're, you know, halfway into 20-year leases with Starbucks and, you know, different companies. The foundation was the same thing. It's like, there has to be an opportunity to do something great. What tennis does not get enough credit for is, is, is the vacuum of, of culture, philanthropy, the absolute icons of our game, whether you're looking at Billie Jean King and what she's done for, for social change and Martina Navratilova coming out in, in the 80s. That wasn't a thing. That's crazy. That wasn't a thing. No. She doesn't get enough credit for what that took, yeah, especially at the peak of her career. Yeah. Uh, we've already discussed Andre, what he's done with an entire area of Las Vegas and in, in, in his charter schools. Uh, Roger Federer being a lead ambassador for UNICEF and then graduating from that into building his own schools uh, in Africa, uh, Arthur Ashe. Um, I mean, you just look at it's It's like the biggest people in our sports set the example of what you're supposed to do. So I'm traveling. I've said time and time again that we are in the most progressive yeah, sport compared to. I think that's others. right. You know, and and so traveling around with Andre and hearing him, you know, I, I was lucky because I got to sit in, you know, a car with Andre when we're going around playing EXOs, and he's basically just needs someone. Um, you know, he's gets an offer from Houston, and they say, well, "Who are you going to play?" He would bring me in, and we would play. But lost in all that is the car rides to and from the airport the plane goes up it comes down we land hearing all his conversations about you know with his foundation how are we going to do this what you know basically just eavesdropping on on his life made a huge impact so i was like how do you he just start so our first thing was like a clinic in a parking lot you know and then you, you you fast forward and you do a little bit more and you do a little bit more and you do a little bit more and now we serve 3500 kids a day so it's it's just a for me, it was always there were always very simple things that I didn't try to psych myself out about. You know, you just start and then you figure it out, and you ask questions along the way. You're going to make some stupid decisions. Um, just don't make them twice. You know, and so it was it, things that seem complex looking backwards were simple thoughts, but Maybe I didn't. To you, I, I didn't because... psych, but I did. I just didn't psych myself out about the follow through. Uh huh. I just wonder where you get the the energy because you're. Tennis is an exhausting sport where you're at, especially at 18, 19, 20. That was like, that, that was on your up and up. Mm -hmm. You won the U.S. Open at 21. Mm -hmm. So how were you, those were your first years on the tour, and so, yet you're trying to organize and launch your, your charity and your foundation mm -hmm. and trying to do things for other people. And, you, and we say that in the same breath of that tennis players are super selfish. Mm -hmm. So was it from Andre? Well, well, the inspiration, yeah, the inspiration, the ideas have to come from somewhere. So, yeah, he was my my closest reference to what it should look like, um, and I knew the best version of Andre, and he would tell you that. You know, I, it was it was post all the drama. I, I hit it perfectly when he was on the upswing, back at number one in the world, peak performance, peak human. You know, Steffi, I think, doesn't get talked about enough about her influence on Andre. Um, so I knew that version. You know, I didn't know the the one who. Might have been, may have been rude sometimes and maybe made bad decisions and maybe was a little spoiled. And I didn't know that. I knew the person that had wrestled with all of those demons and come out good. Um, yeah, so he was a he was a huge inspiration. But the other thing about tennis, though, it's weird. Like, there's a lot of downtime. 
Like, <laughs> like you wait a lot. Like if you're fourth on after 12 doing so, like, True. that's the thing I miss the least is yeah. like the waiting. Like you play a night match at the US Open, you're on at 10 p.m. You wake up at hopefully nine if you sleep in. There's a lot of dead time. It's exhausting. And it's worse. Like my brain, if I would, if I had nothing going on, I was just thinking, 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 thinking about the match, about the match. I, I actually needed um, like healthy distractions. And so I was fine getting on emails or getting on phone calls or, or, or doing whatever, whatever I had to do. That was, that was a welcome distraction. I'm, I'm kind of sensing a theme here that like, <laughs> as, we're, as we're talking through it, but I like the distraction of a regular school. I like that. So, you know, maybe I just like the ability to turn it off sometimes. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. Nobody, nobody wants to be thinking, having a singular focus is fine mm-hmm. for success. And I think that's a recipe for success, but I think everyone will, will share the same sentiment in that mm-hmm. being obsessed with something. Mm-hmm can lead to burnout. Yeah. I mean, and, and listen, I, I, I'm not saying I avoided burnout. I was 30 when I retired, but um, I don't know. I just, I felt like there was time. You're on a plane flight for 16 hours. What the hell are you going to do? You got to do something. Like there's a, for as intense as tennis is, the travel, the days, there's, there's two, three hours every day. But there's so many athletes something. that there's, would not use that time to be productive. They would do something else. Before social else. media, we had to do that's something. True. We couldn't just plug away at our phones all that's day. That's true. That's true. I wasn't a video gamer, so we were good for you. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, it just didn't. It didn't seem Omar said it. It seemed like there was all the time in the world. Hearing you um, fill in the gaps of your journey and your piece. So it's so it's cool to see on on one hand the soul fulfilling internal development heat journey for you you got the best of andre agassi you mm-hmm. had a mentor mm-hmm. and that was perfect timing for you um and then on the tennis level you're you're coming at a time where you're at a crossroads with arguably three of the best this force of the big three with yeah. roger rafa and joker yeah um, a, a couple points here or there, it, you know, your, yeah. your record. I know you get asked that a gazillion yeah. times. I mean, what do you still have to explain yourself when you talk to people? I know people ask you all the time about the Roger. Yeah. I, to me, again, it's like, it's kind of simple. Like there's not much to, for me, it was like, I would lose to him however many times in a row. Um, and for me, it was like, okay, what, let, let's let's fail better. Let's figure out a different way. Let's find something that might be effective. Um, you know, and it almost worked. We almost we almost two points away, five or six different times at Wimbledon. Like that was the goal to set yourself up and deliver your best performance on that stage. And I did that for five straight days at Wimbledon. You know, we we leave people talk about the Roger match, but they leave out Leighton in five sets. And then Murray was actually the betting favorite that year and I beat him in the semis. And so I did it, you know, you, you prepare and I I didn't come up against Roger, you know, served 50 some odd aces and you know, he, he, he came up with the goods, but I can't sit here and say, I didn't execute exactly what I was trying to do for the business end of, of that tournament. Um, that helps me sleep. (laughs) I don't, I don't just like left it on. Yeah. I mean, I, I walk in, I, I, I've only been to Wimbledon one time since, since I stopped playing 
And I walk in there and I feel like I get kicked in the stomach because I want to walk through there as a former champion. Like you see the other people there and, but I don't think about it that much unless it's actually in front of me. It's the hardest tournament for me to watch on TV. You know, it's the only time I get really like, like emotional about, about the the past life and, and not, it just, it, it just, that's the one I wish, you know, I don't, I, I can sit here and I, I can say, honestly, had I won six majors and if Roger wasn't around and, you know, this, that, I don't know that it would be that much different had I just won Wimbledon. <laughs> that's, that's the thing I wanted. Um, but um, I also have a lot of perspective. Like, I, I don't know why, but I lost that match. And in 2009, I lost two others to him also, but people don't remember any of those. They just remember that one. Yeah, they remember that one. But it's weird, though. Like, I'm able to – it was awesome. A month later in Washington, D.C., and I went back and I trained hard and was ready. But I had been a very polarizing figure in tennis, right? I was brash. I got through stuff, argued – you know, there was a lot of media, there was a lot of press, there was a lot of, you know, and, and you either liked it or you didn't. And, but it was, it was, it was almost like you had to choose a side um, with me for a while. And after that match, I think people saw, you know, I think the flashiness of what my career was, was a lot different than the meat and potatoes of the work that was put in. Um, and, and so they were very different. The, 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 the public side I, I thought was very different than what the kind of underlying realities were. And after that match, I'd never had a better relationship with, with tennis fans ever. Like I went out for a first round in Washington a month later on a Tuesday, um, you know, middle of the week and I walk out and it's packed. It's 15,000 people and they're going nuts. I'm going this is different. <laughs> like there were people, you know, used to, you know, semis finals, but it was just, it was the most fun I've ever had. I mean, it was, people were coming to practice that Andy, we're with you. It was, it was, it was, it was great. It was an unbelievable thing. And it was, had I won, I don't know that that side would have presented itself. I don't remember what happened afterwards. There was an interview. I, I don't, I don't remember. It's kind of a blur to me, but from that day, I kind of want to dig up that little in post-match interview. It now. completely changed my relationship with with tennis fans, and it was it was good to go from there almost till the day I retired. That's so you know. So it was, but it was great. It's like all these little mini moments that maybe weren't there. Where this guy didn't like me. I think he watched it Wimbledon finally. Goes man, maybe I was a little bit more of a worker. Maybe I wasn't. You know, I don't know what it was, but it, it definitely changed. Um, my dynamic with fans, I think it changed the way, uh, people viewed me personally. Um, you know, so there, there were so many positives. There were so many, I mean, there was, I remember walking down, we flew back to New York and Brooke had something going on there and I was there for a couple of days just hanging around. I remember walking down the street and, you know, guys who were doing construction on the roads, like Andy, man, tough one. We were with you. And I'm like, this is just different. It feels, it feels very, it felt very different. And it was, it was great. It was great. It was like it was like the best medicine possible. Um, I think that's that's the one that I was trying to get to because I think that every athlete, your transition has been very easy. Mm-hmm. But I think I was just curious about what what was the one thing that you had that you think still kind of ruminate 
or think about or reflect on. Um, because I think for, for every athlete, no one's journey is perfect. Mm-hmm. And there's always something that they wish they would have wanted a little bit more. Sure. doesn't mean that you regret anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird because I, I, selfishly, I want that tournament. I would love to be a Wimbledon champion. Like that's the peak um, for me. But I also think and maybe I'm just trying to like rationalize it away. You know, maybe I'm playing that game with myself, but I don't think my life would be any different. I, I really don't think it would be any different. And when I say it, people kind of like you were kind of like, that, that's not true. But no, I like my I kids, I would live it the exact same way. Um, I'm still the former tennis guy. You'd have one more tournament. Maybe there's something different. Um, parts of it, I think, might have been good. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, but as far to like, as far as like my day to day existence now, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't think it would be any different, but you know, I don't know, but that's the one. Yeah. That's the one that gets a reaction every once in a while. And you know, it just gets less and less. And now I I don't really think of it unless it's during the tournament or someone brings it up. And I it's funny because you mentioned like every person has that moment or that thing that they're kind of talked about or known for. I call that the Starbucks moment, right? There's like, <laughs> there's like, there's like tennis, there's like, <laughs> there's like tennis matches and tennis people that know things. Yes. And then there's the one who reads your name on a coffee cup, looks up and goes, oh man, that match, man, that was, that was, yeah. And so that, that's the Starbucks thing. That's the Starbucks moment. Like, you know, I'm not sure the other people you interviewed, but like they're known for certain things. And then this is the thing they're known like to Joe Schmo at Starbucks. Like he, he knows something about them and that's, that's, that's the match. But you know, what's different is that a lot of the players I'm talking, a lot of the athletes I'm talking to, many of them NBA, NFL. Mm-hmm. So they, a lot of them don't have that moments because when they lose, they have 52 other players mm-hmm. to blame on and mm-hmm. the coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's, <laughs> you should start writing a different name when you go to Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> After like the seventh or eighth yeah. time. All right, all right, Roger Federer. So when you talk about being, <laughs> yeah, when you talk about, talk about being uh, terse or or rough with the yeah. media, what is it about the media, the fans, that they don't get or they should understand? Oh no, I don't even think it's. I was never angry at you know people are like, oh, you were tough with me. I said, no, I'm tough. I just expect you to pronounce the terminology of tennis the right way if you're covering a tennis event. I don't think that's too much to ask. So you get my clip on talking back to someone, but they would, you know, you'd be in Cincinnati and some beat reporter would ask you about all the long volleys you had. I'm like, do you mean rallies? Like, do you like, what? I'm like, you know, but you also said that you were, you were rough with the officials or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like what, where, where did that come from? Where, I don't know. Cause I don't remember you always being like that. No, I was, a. Uh, like my biggest points to officials were when I would ask a question and what they said didn't make any sense. I couldn't let it go. Like I just couldn't let it go, you know, or like, you know, you, you relate to the ball. You're like, they're like, Oh, you relate to the ball. Like they're making a judgment call. They're like, you relate to the ball. It was, it was past you. I'm like, I was standing in front of it. Like I couldn't like let it go if they were absolutely wrong. I just couldn't let it go. It's like, like I had to win an argument or something. It was, it was like, but the thing is, is like as a 12 year old, I don't remember you doing that. There were no umpires. Trash talking. But it was it was in jest. Yeah. You always did it with a giggle or a smile. Yeah. So I'm curious, like where that where that came from. I don't know. Or was it just always there? Maybe it's an outlet. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Um, because I can't imagine that you're like that today. You're not like that when you play golf, are you? No. Or are you? No. <laughs> no, definitely not. It, it doesn't ruin my day. Um, but I feel like it was only just a certain period of your of your development, and maybe that was just your 
late teen years to early no i don't i don't know um it's it's funny because it wasn't like a johnny mac where it was every match right it was it was like it would happen once every six months but i remember i remember thinking about it. it was like oh oh nine australia or something it was one of the years i made semis and you know the coverage is like nothing right it's the middle of the night and i think that was before espn might have owned the rights or they own limited rights or i don't know what it was but you know you play all these matches you make the second week of a slam which is like it's a big deal not a lot of people make the last four of a slam yeah but then you would get zero coverage but if you had a meltdown like second round that would get 12 minutes <laughs> it's just it was, so the way the way it was digested was a lot different like quiet moments weren't weren't worthy of yes of coverage you know but a, a, media loves some drama but like you know a, you give a smart ass press conference or you that was it was 07 I, I lost to roger and i gave like a kind of a deadpan press conference there, um, was, there were quite a few deadpan yeah. <laughs> and i gave one and that like that that got the cover you know it, but it's like i've been down here for a month winning matches and it takes like me talking you know, I don't know but so the coverage is 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 uh subjective and i i, I certainly get you know, and for me, it's like, you know, you need eyeballs on the sport, however it happens, but, yeah. um, doesn't always tell the most accurate story. Yes. It's shaped. Well, it's able to take, it's able to take a moment of time and use it yes. to define all of the moments of time. Well, speaking of moments, I, uh, I decided to go back to your 2012 press conference when you decided to retire mm-hmm. and, uh, have you ever w- watched that press conference? Mm-mm. No. Yeah. Do you remember it? I remember going in and my only goal was not to have a breakdown. And you didn't have a breakdown. No, I was, was close. I was of... close a lot, but yeah. Um, yeah, I remember I went in and people didn't know what I was going in for. I was I'd, there that day. I had never called a press conference, like called it to go. And, you know, I, I think people thought like I was hurt. And was going to like withdraw from the tournament. You know, that's kind of that, that's kind of the only reason why you yeah. call a press conference, right? And it's like I'd already done media day. It was an off day. Like God knows I wasn't going to do media on an off day. <laughs> um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was different. And it's like my friends all came in. Like a couple of players knew what I was doing. Like Marty's like, "What's going? What are you doing?" I'm like, "That's it, man." And like I had a harder time saying to him, like that's it then i did everyone else in the press conference room and why is that don't know don't know like in that room it was it was like when when you kind of prepare yourself to like listen i'm not gonna yeah. like let it go but did you feel as though he, he's kind of your your brother your teammate your friend you felt like you were leaving him behind or? no i don't i don't think it was that i i don't know you just hear experiences you know and, and you just know it's there's like a big shift and it's, it's not going to be the same um but it's, I don't know, for me, it was like my emotions, you know, like post-match at Wimbledon, like I held it together barely. And then you go in a locker room and you're a mess for four hours. But for some reason, I was able to just kind of tighten it up um, when I had to. And so the whole, the whole, that whole retirement press conference, I was just trying to, to kind of try to hold it together a little bit. It's funny to pick apart uh, a moment um, in time and mm-hmm. get different perspectives like if you ever you know you, you got married several years ago many years ago mm-hmm. whatever but it's like if you talk to guests at the wedding they'll tell you different stories about what mm-hmm. went down at that same night and you're like oh that happened 
But uh, I remember it was during the day mm-hmm. in the afternoon, at, and it was only my second year at ESPN. And I remember we got the notification that Andy Roddick's going to he's there's a press conference for mm-hmm. Andy. It's mm-hmm. weird. So of course, media is like scrambling trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. But there were some there were some rumors that maybe there was some suggestion maybe he's retiring. Mm-hmm. So everybody piles in and you come in mm-hmm. and there's a 20 minute interview. And I think, do you mind if I pull it up? Yeah. Are you... So I didn't want to play the whole thing, but mm-hmm. there was, um, and me sitting there watching you. See, like, I'm glad I didn't make eye contact with you during it. Like what well, that would have affected me more oh, than I like, in, I was, uh, I was, I felt like I was more emotional than you <laughs> that day. Um, and I'll, I'll explain. I think there's this one moment that I think it's stood out. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. Um, so this, I think this person had just asked, what are you going to miss the most? Mm-hmm. All of you. <laughs> <laughs> favorite weeks I've ever had on the pro tour. Uh, it was like all of the awesomeness of being a pro tennis player with 0% of the stress, concern, responsibility. You know, I remember we went out for a couple of, cause I, I made a nice, I made a decent run, um, made the second week and, um, 
played well, um, beat a couple of good players um, along the way. And I remember it's like you, I, would, I was doing things that week where like I'd go and hit on an off day and we'd be like 21 minutes in and I'd go, it's good. <laughs> My coach like, you haven't hit a serve. I'm like, does it matter? Like, <laughs> does it matter? It doesn't matter. You know, but it was, it was just fun because like I allowed myself when I was playing those night matches and on center court and everything, you know, you, you let your eyes drift up and you're not scared of losing focus. You're like, tomorrow it doesn't matter. Like, cause you want to soak it in. Too. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I would have felt differently had it been like a semi or final and all of a sudden you're going, Oh my gosh, this is like, this would be amazing. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was just, it, it, it became, and I said it in the press conference, it became so peeled back and innocent for that entire week. Um, but with all the benefit of playing a night match. And yeah. um, it was it was one of my favorite weeks. You know, it was instead of going to bed right away, like a couple of friends were downstairs. So it's like, yeah, let's go talk to him for a while. You know, yeah. you know, it was uh, it was great. It was great. It was it was a, it was like a one big hug. It was great. Yeah, I think uh, the fans embraced you. The media embraced you. Mm. Everybody was was like sad and emotional. Um, I think for me watching it i i've never really seen myself as a member of the media i've always considered myself just a tennis mm -hmm. player and athlete first uh so that day was i i got emotional and I, I i explained it on our show us open now after you and i did the heineken interview and we aired it and then i threw up our childhood photos mm -hmm. and i was explaining to jamie sire and nick mccarville who were hosting i said this is why tennis is so special. It's more of just the family, the community, mm -hmm. because it's so tight knit. And, um, so many of us have grown up together. Um, and so I felt that day that when you retired, that was it for me because mm -hmm. like you were like, you know, you made it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm getting emotional. I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to be getting you emotional. But, and I explained it to them that that's what Naomi Osaka um, meant when she, after she, they had that whole sportsmanship moment and she brought Coco Goff mm -hmm. uh, afterwards to address the fan with Mary Jo on the court. And then afterwards, Osaka looked over at Coco's family mm -hmm. and said, I remember running into you guys mm -hmm. at the Florida Academy and she said, but here we are, we made it. Both of us made mm -hmm. it. And I said, and I explained to everybody on that show, I was like, that's what that means. Yeah. That is a moment to show you what tennis means to the players and to us. And so I've never told you that, but I was just so excited to share that with you because like, watching you and your career I don't know. I don't know how others feel, but it's like I was able to live vicariously through you because it's like you made it. Yeah, but you, you may, but it's just it, there's it's it's such a fine line. I mean, it's just such a fine line. Like, and I would even I, I remember even playing, and I you'd run into you know friends that you played junior tennis with, and you know what separates it? I don't know. Like, yeah, confidence. You know, like yeah. all of a sudden you wake up and you're inches taller and you can serve, you know, I don't know what the weeding out process is, but there's, there's not 
much difference besides just doing it daily and between making it not like what you call making it and not it's just such a fine line i mean we talk about travis rettenmeyer and he he played fine it was doubles but like there's no difference you know except for i don't know maybe you lose some maybe you lose match when you're 16 maybe there's you make the wrong decision and you you go to school and then maybe that way like it's a lot of it's luck and where you're making decisions that are right at the time and what if i say to saddlebrook we discussed that like wow. who knows right. like the what if game i always say this to my wife and to my friends well like what if i go the what if game never ends and it's not worth playing you know it's it's a never-ending conversation it's an, you're right it's not uh i actually reconnected with travis mm-hmm. i haven't talked to him in several years we just reconnected a couple mm-hmm. a couple of months ago for some reason and I'll, I'll be able to, I'll share that picture for those listening on the pod. I'll share the picture. Mm-hmm. There's three of us mm-hmm. going to Cali, Columbia with Chrissy Everett's brother, John Everett. And we're like, did you watch Narcos? Yes, I did. I know. You're really hung up on this Cali, Columbia. I didn't know. Situation. Didn't know. Yeah, but it's not like we were, you know, roaming around at night, you know, trying to party. We were in a five-star hotel. And yeah, the four-star hotel wasn't. You know, it was kind of like a one-star hotel compared to America, but... Yeah, it was fine until I watched Narcos. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had a conversation with Travis, and it's like, if you take that picture mm. and you break it apart, and we're kind of all sitting there, um, I don't want to say on the same level, mm-hmm. but it's interesting how we could all have different paths. Completely different paths, you know. I think Travis went to UC- UCLA. He mm-hmm. ended up dropping out, went on the pro tour, and and struggled for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he's still trying to find his. He's finally finding his way, mm-hmm. you know. But it's just interesting to to take that picture and see how one similar experience could lead to three different paths. Yeah, and a lot of it's stuff that's not in any. I mean. You can't tell me any 12-year-old controls their own thing. There's a million outside influences. So that is not a small part of it, right? And so, you know, but it's it's weird. It's like you make a million decisions every day and all of those decisions matter in some way, shape, or form, positively, negatively, right? You can make a decision that everyone would think was the right thing to do. You go to Saddlebrook. Like that's what you do. But maybe it's not right for some people. You know, maybe it's not what's best, you know, and it's, it's almost a case by case basis where I think in sports, we try to lump everyone into the same thing. And there's like, you know, coaches try to sell one formula, which I don't think it's one size fits all. No. Yeah. Or it could just be, you make decisions and neither, neither uh, decision or event is good or bad. Mm-hmm. We as humans like to label everything, but you know, whether it's the universe or whatever you believe in God or whatever, nothing's yeah. It just is. Yeah. I, I mean, and it, it's just weird things like, you know, I had an ability to fail, like, and it, it didn't affect me too much. You know, it, it would, I'd be hurt, but it was like, it didn't affect the next three months of my life. You know, I wanted to get up and get going. I don't, where to, I don't know why, but you know, you, but let's say you lose a, I remember losing the Kalamazoo final when I'm 16 to Alex Bogomolov. <laughs> um, and I was devastated, but it didn't alter it. That match in the grand scheme of things doesn't matter, you know, and I was able to pick it up and go. And, you know, I, I don't, 
I, I, that was probably my best quality as a tennis player. I lost way more than I won. I failed on the biggest stages Your just ability ever. to get back up. And I just simple. Like, I think just to pare it down and simplify, and you're sitting there after 09 Wimbledon. It's like, okay, well, you want to go get up and go to work tomorrow? Yeah. You know, I, that's what I should do. I don't have to be happy about it. I wasn't like, you know, yeah. rainbows and sunshine. I was devastated, but put your hat on and you go to work. Everyone else has to go to work. Well, you moving forward uh, is seems to be a thing. It, because is it true that you got rid of a lot of your trophies? Yeah, I don't have hardly any of them. But that that was only a couple of years ago. Yeah, it wasn't even a big thing. Like we were, we were moving, and there was this room, and like the last thing I would ever want. Like if if you, you're welcome to come over tonight and have some wine with yeah. with, with Brooke and I. But if you walked in, you wouldn't see one thing that had to do with tennis in our house. Why did that? Ha- why did you decide to do that? We were moving. And it's like, I didn't, it was, I, just a, it was just a convenient time. Like, yeah. yeah a- but it was like, it was like, I mean, not to disrespect, but, but like, it was like a 2008 Beijing, you know, champion term or 2007 San Jose, you know, and there's like three of them lined up and it's like, what's, I was there. I don't need this to tell me I was there. Like anyone who's in this house know that I, knows that I won some of these, right? Like, it's not like. I didn't, I didn't need it for validation. I kept the ones that people like are happy to see. Like I have, <laughs> I have. Well, so you use your U.S. Open trophy as a petri dish, or not a petri I will, dish, if, but like if, a candy dish. If you come over, I will show you where it is. It's in a big box on the floor, covered up. You don't even hang it, have it hanging out. <laughs> no, not right oh, now. Um, no, it's and it's back in the office, but. I, I don't know. Like I don't the the stuff that people like you come over like they want to see an SB. Like they're like, oh that's cool. And but that's you got rid of it. No, it's there. Okay. I have I have like five. Okay. Yeah, but I you know I, I got rid of and Brooke came home. She's like, what'd you do? And I go, I just got rid of all. She's like, where, how, and why? <laughs> and we were moving, so it's like there was a big dumpster out in front of our house. Oh my god! And your trophies were just sitting there. Oh, I mean, they're glass trophies, and I just. Gone. Oh and that was gosh. it. There's some, there seems to be a connection between like the sentimental value with something mm-hmm. and you're able to take the emotion out of it. See, but the, the emotion... And I don't want to make it to sound like you're robotic, but there's if there's a loss, you're able to just... No, the emotion the emotion's there. I mean, it, it's it's there. But like, like I said, like it, it has to do with... I'm not going to get emotional just because there's a lot of cameras in the room and there's volume at a retirement press conference. Like talking to my best friend from tour, like that makes me emotional. Like I'm, our relationship's changing. Like that tears at me more than talking to a room full of journalists Mm -hmm. who are reporting on a story. Um, you know, like I, like I'll, I'm more likely to get emotional driving alone than I am at any other time. Is that because you're alone? I don't know. I don't know the answer. And I'm sure some psychologist is going to watch this and go, <laughs> like, you know, I'm applying to school a, to get my doctorate oh in God. psychology. Oh, geez. Thank you. <laughs> Can't wait to talk laying down like this. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it happens. But at a certain point, like I, I just value, like at a certain point, just we're sad. Okay. Should we delve into that or should we figure out what we're going to do about it? Um, Gosh, you, have such a- you know, and so with the trophies, it's like, 
they're almost embarrassing. Like if someone walks into the house, like I don't want to be that guy who has stuff up and then I don't want to move them either. Like I'm going to move them just to be tired of them. Like, you know, so I kept the ones that meant the most to me. Um, you know, um, I don't know. Tell Mrs. Roddick, what does your mom say? I don't know. She, she, well, I, I I don't know where one of the runner up Wimbledon finals trophies is. I don't know where (laughs) I don't, I, yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, she she was probably pissed, but she probably just rolls her eyes and idiot. <laughs> She's been used to be, me being an idiot for a long time. Like it's not, it's probably not a new thing. But um, it, it's weird because it get and then that, like I'm not relevant anymore. I'm not in a news cycle anymore. And so all of a sudden, Brooke said something about he threw around away his trophies, and you were back in it. No, it's like a new. I'm like. It's like I'm like scrolling. It's like a news story. I'm like checking tennis results. Like throws away all his trophies. What's going on? I'm like, this sounds emotional. It's compl- it's not emotional. Like there's nothing. There wasn't like a I was planting a flag in the ground or anything. It was just like they, we were moving. It was I viewed it as like clutter and like unnecessary. That's hilarious. You know, so that was it. I now have to throw away my trophies because if you're not <laughs> if you're not keeping your trophies. No. Now we all have to. No, our but it's not the same rule. It's not the same rule. Oh that, that's gosh. like if there's one takeaway, it's like it's not the same recipe for everybody. Like it's just not, especially that's- in sport. I mean, you're going to walk through this and and do this whole show, and I'm curious to the commonalities that you'll be able to draw down across the board. I'm sure there will be some. With regard, oh, there's already a ton. But I think there's probably less then maybe people would just think, right? So he's an athlete, they're mm-hmm. driven, they're this, they're that. But I, th- I just think people process stuff different ways. They do, you know? yeah. Uh, but you've clearly been able to move forward mm-hmm. and you're doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, you have your charity, mm-hmm. you have your investments, mm-hmm. your real estate, a lot of stuff. Um, and I think that when I was when I was going through some of the information about you, I started to see the theme of how important business is to you. Mm-hmm. You even started dropping business terminology when you were somehow talking about tennis. You use like uptick and just, I don't know, oh. things. It, um, so is that where your passion is today? I think so. There's yeah. so much I don't know. And for any athletes who are watching this and interested at all, like, you have access to great minds, people who are interested in what you do. Don't make it one-way traffic. I cringe when I see an athlete in a room talking about what they do and they're talking to someone who's super successful in their field and don't like learn something or don't kind of do it. So I'm just curious, you know, I, and I'm curious to know what I don't know. Uh, I don't want to keep repeating what I think I do know. Um, you, you know, so I, yeah, I, Business has been amazing. Investing in different businesses is is fun. Every time you you vet a deal, you learn about a new little. We are a very small section of tennis. That's what we know. It's very small in the grand scheme of 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 the entire world. And so there's there's a lot out there. When did you start investing? When, when was the beginning of it? I was young. Um, you know, and, and also been also no also you're yeah somewhere around there. You're you're also I, I've, I've been lucky to have the right people in place at the right time. My De facto godfather is a guy named Phil Myers. He was uh, my dad's accountant, and my dad was very driven, tough, you know, military background, but also knew his limitations. And I, I think I probably got that from from him a little bit. Um, 
but he basically convinced Phil to quit his job and go on this venture with buying and running Jiffy Loops. And Phil's the kind of guy that it's math is just easy for, and he can read, you know, legal jargon and business stuff. And like, it just makes sense to him very quickly. It's like us breaking down a matchup. Like Mm -hmm. it just makes sense. Right. Um, he's been in my life since I can remember. And all of a sudden you're making money and you need a place to put it. And, you know, so I had, I had free coaching, you know? And so, and then all of a sudden we started, uh, we make a move on some real estate and then it grows and you're, you know, everything you have to understand, like everything starts very small. Like you buy, you know, I had a Jiffy Lube because I needed proof, you know, of something for credit, like to get credit for the first time. And then it kind of grows, you know, into, a a 12 state operation and, you know, clients that people know the names of and it, but it smarts very little, it starts very little and it's the same business. It's just, you've done it more, you know, it's it, but I, I'm just, I'm just curious. Like I will not waste an opportunity to ask a question. Yeah. Well, you're unafraid. I think what's, what seems, um, what's good about you is that you seem very unafraid to ask questions. A lot of people have too big of an ego. I'd rather be dumb once. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a good philosophy to, to go by. Um, you're, you're unafraid to ask questions and, um, you're also, you also have the macro perspective and patience in terms of investing and building something. And maybe that started with your career, but it's, you know, you start with the foundation at a very young age and Mm -hmm. you've built that up and you've raised, raised over $20 million. Mm -hmm. I think in the beginning you only had several dozen kids Mm -hmm. and now you've got several thousand that are participating in it. And then with your investments, there's not a lot of, not forget athletes, but just young people who start investing in their 20s. Mm-hmm. But somehow you had that vision to to build for the future, not just five years, 10 years, but 30, 40, 50 years down the road. I don't know. You're making it sound a lot more conscious than it, I think it was. Um, but there, it, but it, I, 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 it, it is conscious because I, I talk to athletes all the time and it, it's a problem. I mean, there's a whole reason. I'm going back to get my doctorate so I can create a transition program Mm -hmm. for athletes Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of them that get stuck, not only financially, but emotionally because they don't know how to start planting the seed for the future. Mm -hmm. But the ones that do have a specific kind of vision. Mm -hmm. I'd say have a plan, stick to it. It's not a lot different than what would make them a great athlete, right? Right. Yeah. You, You Staying out late doesn't matter as much, but having discipline, being the person who beat balls over and over, having faith in a long-term plan, like you can apply, but for some reason, athletes are able to do it in their sport. But then when it comes out of it, it's like, oh, my uncle Joe knows this great investment. It's like, why? What happened? Would you not pursue the best coaching possible in your sport? They basically just, I, I feel it's like they take wild swings in business that they would never take in, in their own lane. Um, you know, so it's just simple. Like for me, it was just simple. We had a plan. We stuck to it. We waited until, uh, there was opportunity, uh, in the marketplace and then we got real aggressive. Um, you know, but it's kind of counterproductive. I, I think just read as much as you can. Don't be scared to ask dumb questions one time. Um, cause then you'll know it forever and, and follow up like, if you have a conversation with someone, you're curious about it. Hey, I'd hate that. I don't want to take much of your time, but can you explain this to me? Or, you know, I had a call this morning with a board member from our foundation and, you know, we're walking our next 
three-year plan, but it's nice to have people to call to say, how do we actually, you know, we're deciding between A and B, is there a way to get three options, A, B, and C, present at the next board meeting so at least we know what sort of resources we'll need with each, each option? She All goes, right. well, yeah, I did that. I did that for, you know, uh, Civitas Learning and Bizarre Voice, and I, I'd love to be able to do that. I go, see, that's easy for you, you know, how do we do that? And she's like, I can take care of that and I can walk you through it. It's like, great, but don't be scared to make that call and don't be too proud to say like, hey, I'm a dumb athlete. Can you walk me through mm-hmm. what what the processes would be? And I've never had a problem like doing that. I, the ego that I had in tennis, it, I, it doesn't apply to everything because I'm not good at everything. You Is know? that your advice to a lot of athletes out there? Don't don't be afraid to ask those dumb. Don't questions. be afraid to ask dumb questions. I I feel like some athletes because they're good at one thing, they think they have this like insecurity that they have to be good at everything. That that makes no sense at all. Um, yeah. You know, so follow up, be disciplined, uh, make sure it's not one way traffic with with relationships. Right? Uh, hey, I'd love for you to help me. If there's anything I can do, you know, for me, it's like if I can ever MC an event, if I can ever add, you know, if you do something, if I can add value in any way, shape or form, you know, it's a one, one for one favor. I think entitlement yeah. doesn't really work that way. And you have to check it at the door. Like inside of tennis, I could probably demand more, whether it's on a product side, whether it's uh, my time is more more valuable there because I know a little bit more than it would be over here. So maybe I have to pay my dues here. An hour isn't an hour across all all sectors, you know, so you, you kind of have to know what you don't know. That's good advice. Uh, yeah. I know your foundation is awesome and that it focuses on closing the educational mm-hmm. gap and you provide a lot of after school programs during the summer. And is, mm-hmm. there, um, is there any way people that want to help, if I can help, what are the ways in which we can help? Yeah. So ARFoundation.org is our, is our website. Um, we're, we're doing some cool stuff. We, we're a pretty intense program. Um, we start in kindergarten, which is, uh, which is something that normally gets a reaction. Like that's young and you're pretty intense. No, I think it starts, um, it's supposed to start young. But it, again, yeah. it's, it, but then again, it's just asking questions. You know, we have a, an unbelievable board and I'm the, I'm the dumbest person in the room at all times. And that's probably rule number one. Um, but you know, people automatically go to what's easy. College prep makes sense. Like you're on the way, you're in high school, you know, college prep program. There's a lot of them. Okay. Is that what's most effective or is that what's easiest to explain? It's easiest to explain. I think, you know, we, we started in kindergarten cause it's like, I read a stat and it just dominated my thoughts for, I couldn't get it out of my head. Third grade reading levels in the state of Texas, uh, dictate, uh, how they predict jail capacity wow. by a certain year. So I'm going, what's too late? Like, do you, if you start in fourth grade, are you too late? You know, so it's, it's, it's just kind of, we've done it. We've done it and we've done a good job and we've grown and we, we found a lane and it's, it's been, it's been cool. It's been fun. It's been rewarding. Um, again, I, I can help on the fundraising side. I can help on, um, bringing attention to it. You can ask me about it. That helps. And, um, we've made a difference, but you know, time matters. We need volunteers. We always need, but more importantly, just go tell someone about it. Mm-hmm. And not specifically us, but out of school time learning. The, the the biggest achieve the biggest learning gaps isn't between you know wealthy schools, poor schools. It's the idle time in the summer. You know, affluent kids have programs. We were able to go to Saddlebrook. We filled time. We were never bored. We never 
you know, get into too much trouble. We try to get into a little bit of trouble, but not, not, not too much. But that's where the biggest gap is, um, is in the after school and, and summer spaces. And so we, we pretty much just attacked it and tried to try to make a difference. Well, I love how like the first time I'm using my notes is actually two hours in. But uh, <laughs> I pulled off a letter from one of the students that um, has been going to your foundation. And she said, my name is Rosa. I am in third grade at Pecan Springs. I've been with ARF since the beginning when I was a pink flamingo. I assume that's a school. Or... No, it's uh, they're camp. different groups, okay. different colors um, and animals. Every summer, I am excited to come to camp because we do fun things like go on field trips, make robots, learn about how to build buildings, and do workout Wednesday with Coach Angie and Coach Casey. At summer camp, all the teachers make me feel special and cared about. We all have so much fun together, even though I do not like to wake up early, but I do love coming to camp. Being part of the Andy Roddick Foundation has taught me how to communicate with others, respect others, and become a good leader, which will be helpful when I become a teacher. I hope she's right. That's really cool. Yeah. It's uh, the part that has been rewarding, and it was an unintended consequence, is the kids have a great time. But for parents that were committed and school day ends at three, so they have to leave work at two. Um, by providing a safe place that actually adds value, it allows parents to work three or four more hours a day. Now, you multiply that times five days a week, times a year, and all of a sudden they're great providers as opposed to providers that have to make a choice or a sacrifice, not dissimilar to what we've been talking about. So if we can just take that one huge life choice out of out of the, the family, um, it can make a huge difference. And, and that's kind of been probably the most rewarding part because it really does affect the entire family. I don't think I would have had that perspective until I had a kid and my little guy is one year old. I didn't. It's a completely different perspective. It um, is. I did it for the kids and now I understand the parents' perspective. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Um, you need, it really does take a village. Mm. And now you're kind of providing that village for the kids that don't have that village. Well, our teachers and administrators and everything we they're they do they do a great job fair thank you so much was it was it awful how bad was it <laughs> it was great i really hope you enjoyed this conversation with andy don't forget to check out part one with him if you haven't gotten a chance to do so but as always i'm open to comments and questions and even ideas about who i should bring on to the show next you can always reach out to me on social media at prim underscore seripapat the next chapter with prim seripapat is a production of iHeartRadio. for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts 